You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church in Midlothian, Texas. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, visit stonegate-church.com. Well, good morning. My name is Rick. As uh, Rodney introduced me, and uh, I've only known Rodney just over the past, what, year and a half we've known each other? Uh, I got the privilege of actually being a part of a team that um, let Rodney speak about this church, which back then was mainly a church in his head. And uh, so going from that point, which I really met Rodney, to this point and seeing the church in his brain now living and active and here, it's really cool. So you've got a good thing going on right now. And as I told the first service, uh, you have a good pastor. Uh, whether you've been here all along or whether you're brand new this week, I can assure you, you're well served by the shepherding of Rodney. Uh, he is not only a shepherd of you, but he's a shepherd of other shepherds. Uh, amongst our network that we are part of, uh, he definitely uh, lets it be known to other men that he prays for them, uh, and he encourages them, and uh, as you already have seen today, he wants to support them, uh, wants you as a church to support them. And so uh, I just want to encourage you to have a great level of appreciation and respect for uh, the man who serves you. Uh, he didn't pay me to say any of this, so um, saying this of my own own free will. Um, anyway, I just want to say that and let you know that I'm I'm also like David, glad to be with you guys this morning. Just real quick about me, I I have um, as pretty much anyone who would stand where I stand today, I could tell you the best thing about me. Uh, is that at age 15, uh, Jesus got a hold of my heart and changed me radically. And I've never been the same since. Um, I definitely, like many of you uh, who have also had similar experiences, have not been uh, perfect every day since. Um, but I can tell you from that day forward, uh, there's been a trajectory of transformation and change in my heart that is unexplainable, that cannot be attributed to my own efforts, my own will, my own discipline. I simply am not that smart, simply am not that disciplined, and I simply don't have it in me. And so uh, just as I come before you today relying on the same Spirit that saved me to also say something to you uh, that I hope will go right to your heart um, and affect a change in you that doesn't just let you stir it in your head all day long, but it actually goes deep down and changes something about your life this week. Um, I turn 40 next year, um, which is made much of in our network, which is a younger network, and so I get called old. So if you're over 40, you know the kind of waters that we play in. Um, and so you will feel sorry for me, hopefully. Uh, but I also get the privilege of, because of that, having some life experience behind me. I've been married 15 years uh, this year to uh, just a really beautiful and supportive uh, wife, and uh, have four great kids, uh, girl age nine, girl age seven, boy age five, and a, a girl age two. Um, and uh, as I was talking with another uh, young man who has a similar family structure, uh, we're always saying, no, we're not Catholic and we're not Mormon. You know, the, the, you know, people just assume things about you, uh, when they see that. Uh, my kids are good, uh, but they are our little sinners. So, um, in fact, I remind them of a lot. Um, and that they remind me of a lot. Um, 
today we are going to Acts chapter 8, and as Rodney already read for you, verses 4 through 25, which we're going to be dealing with primarily and directly. Um, I also want to tell you, you can feel free to turn also for later in our, our message to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I'll, I'll just be there briefly, but if you want to read along, you can turn over there and stick your finger there. All right, starting in chapter 8 of Acts, verse 4. It says, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. There's a couple things I want you to notice in this opening sentence. The first thing is that people were scattered. Uh, they were scattered because early on in the church's history, although we often attribute great romanticism and great kumbaya moments to it, like everything was good, everyone loved each other, everyone shared, all favor was had on the church, all these things were true, we sometimes overemphasize it to the point that we don't let it breathe and see that they had very real, very normal struggles, even in the early church, that we experience today. In fact, that brings me to the point of really where I want to go today and that you guys are talking about uh, missional living, living as a missional person in your world, saying, I am a missionary. There aren't just missionaries that go overseas. I, myself, am a missionary. To say you are a Christian is to say you are a missionary. Not that you simply are a person who goes overseas, but you go to your neighborhood. You go to your school. You go to your place of work. You go to your neighborhoods. You are a missionary. And these people, in the very first uh, uh, chapters of the church's beginning, were missionaries. They didn't know to be anything different but to be missionaries. And they encountered from the very first pages some messiness, knowing that although there are good moments, there are great moments, and there are things that we can aspire to in Acts 2, we need to also see from Acts 2 on, there were many messy moments, very gritty moments in the church's life. So if we are to, in fact, be missionaries, and aren't to, in fact, be missional people, we're going to encounter messes. We're going to encounter messy people, messy situations. In fact, the chapters before chapter 8, we see the reason for the scattering was they were persecuted as a church. Everything's going well, but all of a sudden, a man by the name of Saul, who we will eventually know as a Christian named Paul, when God gets a hold of his life, begins ravaging the church, completely ripping it apart, sending people to jail and even killing some and so it's not going to be all favor for them in a earthly sense. And then we also see even before that, that it begins to get a little bit messy internally. They don't just have external messes. We sometimes make the mistake of thinking that everything's outside trying to get us. But there's a lot of things that happen on the internal that gets us, both in our heart and amongst us in our communities. And we see this from the um, first pages of, of, of chapter, or first words of chapter six, where we start to notice that there is some lingering bigotry and prejudice in their heart. See, the, the Hebrews were, were shortchanging the Hellenist widows of their daily distribution of the bread. And the apostles knew that there is no Hebrew and Hellenist under the gospel. Not in a sense that we should shortchange one and, and give favoritism to the other. They understood this. So this can't be. And so they, they immediately created what we would eventually 
come to know later in the scriptures is probably deacons. They picked out seven men full of the Spirit, godly in every way. And amongst these was a man named Stephen who was really the first martyr of this new church. And then there was another man who we're going to introduce to ourselves in just a minute named Philip. And then we, we see in this, in this particular instance that the messiness keeps going. That we see a different kind and, and perfect people are not the ones who need the gospel. And so these imperfect people come in and they begin to share parts of their lives with the Christian community that's immediately unearthed and uncomfortable. And we'll read about that in just a minute. Now, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. I find it's very interesting that that was their default. That was their default after having gone through persecution, having, having seen that this new community, this supposedly pristine community isn't completely perfect. It still holds lingering prejudices, lingering biases. They still went out and didn't take their marbles and go home. They did not go out and get frustrated over what was not happening that should be happening. They went out. Their knee-jerk reaction was what? To preach the gospel. That's what they did. Which is instructive for us today. What is your knee-jerk? When you, when you go out and you just experience something very negative. You know, you know, if you're church long enough, you're going to experience some, uh, some difficulties within. People bickering with one another. People not liking one another. People not liking Rodney. You don't think Rodney's not smart enough to know that some of you talk about him on some Sundays? You think he's not smart enough? He knows that. He knows that some of you get in your car and you talk about it. You say, well, I didn't like that part. We know this. But it's not perfect. He's not perfect. I'm not perfect. None of us are perfect. And some people handle that by just going out and complaining. Some people handle that by going off and just saying, well, I guess this didn't work. Their first instinct was to preach the gospel. Their first instinct. My guess is some of you, that's not your first instinct. And so maybe for the rest of this service, you just need to just intermittently just continue to fire off just a silent prayer to God. God, please make that my knee-jerk response. Please make that the thing I would do in the midst of messiness, adversity, and sometimes the gritty nature of just doing church. Maybe that's your prayer as we continue our service. Continuing, it says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria, or a city of Samaria, or a city in Samaria, and proclaimed to them the Christ. Two things I want to say about this. One, Philip. Uh, as I mentioned before, he is one of the seven. And so what is so interesting is he was probably chosen as one of the seven because he has a Hellenist name. And as a result, he would ensure the fair distribution of the food. And, and he probably felt the sting of the prejudices that were still there. And so interesting that Philip would be drawn by the Holy Spirit to go and preach to a group of people of Samaria who were known as the Samaritans, who were a people that most people, even the Hellenist Jews and the Hebrew Jews, would agree on, we both don't like. And so he would be the one who was sent, one who just saw bias against his own kind, to go preach against, preach to 
and speak the gospel to a group that all of them had thought were lower than the scum of the earth. See, the Samaritans were a group of people that were the result of the offspring of Jews who stayed behind, who were left behind in the Palestine area when Babylon ransacked it and carried many of the others off into captivity. They stayed behind, and as a result, the occupiers who came in, who intermixed, intermarried with them, the resulting offspring are what we know as the Samaritans. Now, to a first century Jew and to all the Jews who came back from that captivity, they pretty much thought these people were half-breeds, compromisers. It didn't matter if they were forced into cross-marrying. They still saw them as compromisers and despised them greatly. And their offspring were despised. And, and so now can't you see the ab- absolute scandalous nature of Jesus telling the story of a good Samaritan? There is no good Samaritan. There are only bad Samaritans. There are only half-breed Samaritans. And so there's this complete hate of this group of people, yet Philip is sent to them to preach this gospel because he knows this gospel breaks down all barriers. All barriers. Continuing on. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits came out of many who were possessed, crying with a loud voice, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. Not just half joy, not just a little joy, much joy. And the language couldn't be more exact in that it wants us to know that they were just ecstatically, ecstatically joyful. For most of these Samaritans, their main religious experience, spiritual experience to this point, had been as outsiders. People didn't deserve to even worship at the temple at Jerusalem. They had to have their own place of worship even because they didn't deserve it. They're outsiders looking in. They could not reconnect with their ancestry, the God who is their God too. Which brings up an interesting point for some of you. For the rest of our our time today, you, you may not connect with everything we said that gets said, but but this you might connect with. You may be here and maybe you've just wandered in to Stonegate or, or to, to churches recently and you're looking, you're searching. God, he's putting things in your heart, stirring your heart to the point where you're asking questions. But, but you have this thing in your background. You, you've had a lot of bad experiences with church, with Christians. And so much like the Samaritans, religion and spirituality to you is very much a negative experience thus far. I just want to tell you that the same message that Philip is preaching to these Samaritans is the same gospel that gets preached in this church week in and week out. It is the good news that there are no barriers. There are no half-breeds. There are no people who are, who are just uh, outsiders looking in. There are no people who are rejects and there are no rooms, room Christians for, for prejudices and biases. No room for that. If you have an experience that's extremely negative, I just want to assure you one thing. 
your experience was not with the gospel, and it was not with the Jesus I know. Now, it may have been with Christians. We're not always smart. I know that. We don't always say smart, kind, good things. I get that. Welcome to the struggle that we call spiritual growth. We still are struggling. We are still trying like mad to repent of the lies that we also believe and turn to the truth of the gospel. We need the gospel as much today. I do. Rodney does. All the people in here you know as mature Christians, they need the gospel as much today as they did however many years ago when Jesus first saved them. Please know this. The gospel is not what you've experienced. Please know that. Continuing on. Verse 9. But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. And they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Now, outside of these passages, we don't really know a whole lot about this this man named Simon. Obviously, he's a man who practiced magic of some some sort, and he thought himself as a big shot. And it seems like the people of his area thought the same thing of him. Continuing on. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. And so we have to stop at this point and say something about Simon in that the text only tells us that he believes. It doesn't add any qualifiers. It doesn't say, but just wait till you hear what what we're going to say about Simon in just a minute. It just says he believed. That's it. That's all you got to go on. There's nothing implied that it was a false belief. It's just that he believed. Like many of the people we see that you can't even tell. We can't tell something about Simon's heart by what we see here in the text, although we may be able to infer some things as we read later on. Continuing on, verse 14. Now when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, I don't want you to go away confused as to what that's talking about. Um, so this is just a small sidebar uh, that doesn't have anything really to do with where we're going today, but, but I do want to say this, is what this event is, is probably what we call the Samaritan Pentecost. If you remember, um, if you recall the front end of Acts, if you're familiar with Acts, it says that Jesus had told the disciples, you will go from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then even beyond to the rest of the earth, basically to the rest of what's known as the Gentile or non-Jew world. You're going to go on and you're going to preach this gospel everywhere. And so what we see in Acts chapter 2 is is the Pentecost that we all uh, might be more familiar with in that we see the Holy Spirit come down on the first apostles and the first disciples. He descends 
He inhabits their lives and something about them transforms and changes. At the end of Peter's sermon, we see the effect of such a change is that they get cut to the heart and they get transformed and they're never the same from there on forward. Well, what we have here is probably something similar, only this is a Pentecost for the Samaritans, as we will have for the Judeans, the larger Judean population. Then eventually, as you get further on in the Acts narrative, we see another example of this to what we might call the ends of the earth, to those who would be considered Gentiles or non-Jews. And so this is probably nothing more than that. And, And continuing in verse 17, it says this, it says, Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John's laying of the hands on them did not physically transfer power. They were not channeling. They were not the, the, the people who had uh, the Holy Spirit as if he was something that they could possess and, and zoom out through their hands to someone else. It was probably more a show of solidarity, and it was more of a grace that God allowed them to pray and lay hands on as he sent the Holy Spirit into these people's lives. Verse 18. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now through a complete misunderstanding of what the Holy Spirit had just done, Simon's behavior was completely consistent with who he was prior to any hearing of the gospel or any level of belief he had in the gospel. This was the beginning of the Bible showing us something that we would call syncretism or the merging of our former life with our Christian life. It's the idea that if I were a Republican or a Democrat prior to Christ, I just merged that into my life with Jesus, and Jesus is either a Republican or he's a Democrat. That's an example, and it's a popular one in our, today, in our world today. And so you begin to merge things, preferences, aspects of your, your former life, and you try to intermingle them sometimes. And this is one of the hardest aspects of growing in Christ is that the Holy Spirit is going to continue for the rest of my life to root out these things that I have falsely merged with the gospel. And as a result, I really create little mini false gospels in my life constantly. Things that need to be repented of, turned from, so that I can believe in the one true gospel. This is exactly what Paul is fighting against when he writes his letter to the Galatians. The idea that we are just bent towards merging things, preferences, ideas from our former life and with our life with Christ. And so this is very normal for a magician. Tricks of the trade were exchanged often as financial trans, trans, uh, actions. They were viewed almost as commercial commodities. And so he's only doing what he knows to do as a magician. He's saying, this is awesome. This is awesome. Maybe I can get on this aspect of the Christian life. It's like the guy who comes up to me not long after he becomes a Christian and says, man, I really like the way people responded to you when you preached up front. I love speaking to people. Can I preach next week? And you're just like, no, 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 no. You, 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 for, 
You don't understand calling. You don't understand gifting. You don't understand. There's a lot of things that go into why I would even be up here. All of which have very little to do with me. And so he, he sees, he sees something and he wants to be a part of it, but he's, he's, he's mixing. This is where it gets really messy. And a lot of you have intermixed parts of your past with the gospel. And if you really are going to live a missional lifestyle, if you're really going to be a missionary in your culture, no matter where it is, you are going to encounter human being upon human being upon human being who will struggle with this. And it's going to be messy. It's going to be messy what they merge with Christianity. And oftentimes you just throw your hands up in the air and just just say, they just don't get it. No, just some people are more obvious about it. You're just better at hiding it and couching it in religious terms sometimes. Right? I am. I love to believe all my anger is righteous anger. Yeah? Verse 20. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered him, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So his, his response to Peter was slight. But instead of repenting as, as Peter had challenged him to do, he instead says, pray for me, Peter. Pray for me. See, even at this point, he was seeing Peter as some sort of a holy man as someone who had something special that he had no access to. You pray for me. I don't want to repent and pray for myself. You pray for me. We, we do this often. We, we should want to pray for one another and want others to pray for us. It's good to let your pastor know things that you want him to pray for. But I'm pretty sure that, that the Lord isn't like standing up at attention when Rodney prays. And when you pray, it's like, no. There's nothing special about that. But he thinks that if Peter prays for them, this man who he perceives is the one distributing the Holy Spirit, that something about what he just said will change in his life. There was no prayer of contrition, really, from Simon, just fear that perhaps Peter's predicted judgment might come true. Great fear. As we look at this passage, kind of survey it, Simon seems less interested in the Holy Spirit and his indwelling in his life and more interested in how he might distribute it to other people's lives. And... Uh, Sometimes we get into this trap 
The idea of, of wanting to be a part and, and tell people about God. But when God wants to really stir and change something about us, well, that's getting personal. Now, I'll go talk about you. But, but when you start exposing how I have syncretized, how I have merged things with my life, wow. I'm not so sure I want that. And really, he engages in two common mistakes that many people have who have had what I would call primarily religious experience, but maybe not an authentic gospel experience. First of all, believing that anything other than God has some sort of power to do anything. Believing that that Peter was the one who had the power to send the Holy Spirit and that it wasn't an act of God working through and with this man of God. Nothing else can do for you something that isn't already done by Jesus. Nobody. There's no power that can come from another human being, no power that comes from a church, no power on this earth that can go out that does not first come as a result of Jesus changing your life. And the second one is similar to it. second mistake is that believing that God's gifts, God's benefits, just might be better than God. This is the classic... This is the classic idea uh, told by Paul in the first part of Romans when he talks about worshiping the, the creation, not the creator. Or the idea that, that, that I love God's gifts and I revel in God's gifts and I, and I sing songs about God's gifts. But I don't cherish God. <laughs> I cherish the stuff This is hard when you have kids, man, because you look at your kids and yeah, they're sinners, but there's beautiful grace to remind you what it's, what it's like to be maybe the heavenly father. And, and you have these kids and, and it's very easy, especially when your kid is sick or when you lose a child. We lost our first child in vitro nine and a half weeks. I have an elder who this year at City View has lost his daughter who was born at seven days and then lost another baby in vitro. And it's easy in those moments to so love the gift of your kids that God becomes bitter to you when he denies you your children. When he denies you pregnancy. We have couples struggling with pregnancy. The gift has now gone past the giver. (laughs) And it's better than the giver. Classic mistakes. Simon saw the gift as being better than the giver. I really love the historical nature of the Acts narratives. I, uh, I got my, 
uh, master's work done in history. I'm, I'm one of the guys who didn't go to seminary. Um, so I love history, and so whenever I get to see history within the text of Scripture, I love preaching it because it's just kind of a comfort spot for me. I love reading through this because not only do we see a narrative of what happened here and how things got messy, but we also see a very beautiful, very gospel-centered response from Peter. Look at it with me, starting in verse 20. And pay attention to this, because if, if you're, if you're going to be missional, and you know it's going to be messy, and you, and you get that, then how do we do messy? How do we respond to messy? Verse 20, But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Remember why he thought this. He just syncretized. He just merged his former life and his former ways with the gospel, with Christianity. He just merged it. And what Peter has got to do in this moment is tell him the truth. You've made a false link. You've made a false connection between something you thought was completely consistent with your new faith. He's telling him the truth. Because these words are not simply a prediction, although it would be easy to read that later on that it would sound like a prediction, but it, it really is just telling him, he's warning him, this is the trajectory of your life if this is what you think the gospel is. If you think the gospel intermixes with this aspect of who you were. So Peter tells him the truth, continuing on in verse 21. You have neither part nor lot in the matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. What else does Peter do? Peter has just taken part in some of the most amazing awakenings, spiritual awakenings, in the first few chapters of Acts. And he knows that the key to all of them was that God cut people to the heart. Because that's where God goes. He transforms hearts. And so Peter, instead of doing the human reaction, the thing that comes normal to us, you must stop and get rid of all your magic books, Simon. Burn them! Get rid of them? Start thinking of all the things that you associate? That's not the first part place he goes. There's a place for that, by the way. But that's not where he goes. He goes to his heart. He says, something wrong with your heart. Repent and believe. And so, let your heart be changed. The intent of your heart may be forgiven of you. When you encounter messy with people, is your first instinct to go for their behavior? Figure out a way to make them respectable citizens? Make them fit in to the church culture or maybe to southern culture or to Texas culture? What's your first instinct? Peter went to his heart. He, he knew that it was messy, so he went to his heart because it's only when the, when the Holy Spirit does something in your heart transforming is there any hope, any hope of lasting behavioral change that is negative and detrimental to you. P- 
people around you in society. The last thing he did is beautiful. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. I told the first service back in my younger years, when I was around age 18, I became a Christian age 15. And so three years later, I'd read through the Bible. I became proficient in the scriptures. I became kind of a spiritual leader in my youth ministry. People liked me. People at school persecuted me, hated me, because that's persecution, right? When they hate you. Well, for me, sometimes persecution is basically I said stupid things and I was judgmental in a real bad way. And, and so I had kind of a heart of a legalist or a moralist. And so when I would come across verses like this, verses that I'd just become acquainted with, you know how when we read the Bible, we kind of project our own voice into it? You ever do this? You try and kind of live out the scene? Yeah, I, I did this a lot because I was involved in theater. Um, I, was, I, was, I was also involved in athletics, by the way. So if any of you guys are, I, I just want to get that out there. I was a freak. I was a theater athlete, you know. Played basketball, ran track, you know. So being in theater, that cancels each other out, right? And so obviously I'm projecting voices onto the scenes. And so I read this. As an 18-year-old, legalist, self-righteous, judgmental young man, I would read it. Peter looking at him, pointing at him. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. A little more mature. Definitely a lot of skin knees later. And a lot of breaking of my heart. And a little bit of education in Greek. It's not the mood of what he's saying at all. It's like this. For I see you are in the gall of bitterness and the pond of iniquity. Especially enlightening is that last phrase, the bond of iniquity. He's basically saying you're enslaved. You're enslaved. And the reason I know this is the tenor of what he's trying to communicate, who looks at a slave and says, boy, you're a slave. Look at you slaving around. How disgusting in your slaving ways. I mean, you look at slaves and you go, man, that's too bad. Your heart leaps out to them. It's like you hear about human trafficking and... And the sex trade and it's slavery in our modern world and, 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 and your heart just breaks. Peter's demonstrating for us that when the gospel's work is finding itself to be a little harder, a little more gritty, a little bit more messy than we first thought, if we were to identify the great slavery that those around us just might be in. And so what we see here is a great compassion showing.
If you want to flip over to that Corinthians passage real quick. Chapter 5, verse 16. The Apostle Paul, now saved under the gospel and proclaiming the gospel of Jesus to others, especially a very troubled church at Corinth, says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if any was in Christ, he is a new creation. He's trying to remind him, you're new creations. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. Please know that is your identity. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the privilege of the ministry of reconciliation with people who are messed up and just only got it half right so far. A privilege. We don't look on him with disdain. This is a ministry of reconciliation, verse 9. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. In other words, that's the whole point. That's what he was doing. And gave us this ministry. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. God is making appeals to people through us. It's important, just a second. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Now he's telling these Corinthians that you're ministers of reconciliation, you're new creation, please know that. Now you be reconciled to God. Wait a minute, I thought they were already reconciled to God. They were positionally, but they weren't in practice and in lifestyle. Here's what I mean. You may think about the things that I just talked about regarding how we deal with those we come into contact with that are just a little more gritty, a little more raw, rough around the edges. You say... I'm really bad at telling the truth to people. <laughs> I have real acceptance issues. And I'm really bad at telling the truth. I'm really afraid of what they might think about me. I'm really afraid of using the wrong words, saying it in a way that's wrong. Good news, though. Peter said it in a way that wasn't moralistic. He went to the heart. Okay, well, I, I can go to the heart and I can tell people the truth, but... I'm still worried about just how they'll take my tenor. Good news. Peter did it in a way that was greatly compassionate and caring. I said, well, yeah, okay, I get all that, but I still am not good at any of those things. You want to know why he told the Corinthians to be reconciled to God? They weren't living it. 
they weren't believing that they were new creations, even though positionally they were. They weren't believing, they weren't really living that I'm a new creation. They were living in the old ways. And so it is, until you really sense that God tells you truths and he does not lie to you, you will not be able to be the truth teller that the messy and critty people in the world need. You just won't have the capacity because you think God's holding on to you, that he may be lying to you, that he may be duping you. And you're not alone. You only have to go back to Genesis chapter 3. God may be lying to us. Maybe he just doesn't want us to have this tree. He's holding out. You won't address the heart if you think God is nothing more than a behavior police for you. If that's what he is to you, the moralist police then it's going to be very difficult for you to head to the heart of people, to go for their hearts and not their behavior. And and if you don't believe God is kind to you, compassionate with you, patient with you, it would be very difficult for you to do likewise with others. So don't even try to take those things I've just mentioned from Peter and develop an action plan in your Blackberries this week as to how you're going to become more compassionate, how you're going to engage in the discipline to make yourself a good truth teller. What you need and what I need is experientially to know these things about God and his relationship to us. Once you know that, once you believe that in your core being, you can't help but exude those things to others. You can't help. It's like what we talked about in the first verse of this chapter. It'll be your knee-jerk reaction. That's how you'll handle messy, raw, gritty people who need you, who need me. Let's pray. God, I had asked that you'd give us great grace this morning in terms of allowing us to see our part, our privilege, as ministers of reconciliation under the gospel, I pray that you would give us I pray that you would give us very specific instances in our life this week where we can reflect on your great compassion. We can reflect on how you do tell us the truth and God how you You don't simply police our behavior, but you transform our heart to want our behavior to be different. I pray on the flip side of that, you would continue to give us opportunity to display the kindness that you display to us towards others. For those of us who are here, and this is about 10 steps too far down the road, that we're still thinking about that idea of feeling like outsiders, still feeling like misfits, 
black sheep. People not with the accesses and privileges of the good religious folk. I pray that today you would make your beautiful, compassionate, truth-telling gospel very real to us. That Jesus would be seen as better than any fake version of Jesus or fake version of the gospel we have been peddled or that we have chosen to embrace. Do something in our hearts this morning. Change it as you draw and woo us to you. Give us the faith we need to trust you maybe for the first time today and to embrace the fact that we are new creations. We are no longer outsiders. We are not half-breeds. That we are privileged heirs and sons of God and daughters of God. I pray that we would live as reconciled people. And I pray this in the good, gracious, and very strong and very able name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonegate Church, located in Midlothian, Texas. For service times, additional audio and study resources, as well as information about our church, please visit us at stonegate-church.com.